Okay, hi. You have a cold. I do. I have a cold. And no, I do. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I've worked harder over the last month than I've ever physically worked in my entire life, even in the Amazon warehouse days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The physical physical work is different <clears throat> than uh, brain work. I thought it would be a good idea to sleep on site in one of the many adorable little camps at the Surfana Festival. <clears throat> I don't know how anybody... You're a big fan of camping. <laughs> I honestly don't know how anybody enjoys it. I mean, really. So you put in a... You know, you get up 6, 7 in the morning, hit the ground running, go to bed at 3 in the morning, crawl into your tent that you've provisioned with a brand new sleeping bag, a nice little cot to get yourself off the ground. The tent service even provided uh, air mattresses, which I hate. But anyway, everything is damp because you're sleeping, you know, a five-minute walk from the beach. All the moisture in the air condenses. Everything is damp, cold. That first night, I'm desperately trying to get to sleep any little tiny bit of my body that was exposed to the air was just like sleeping on an ice cube and then the next night it was that plus everything was wet I woke up shivering and so you're putting in these huge days getting no sleep a few minutes here and there a fitful sleep and then on the third night I put in 22 hours on my feet solid I went home that night because I'm like I have got to get some actual quality sleep, even if it's a few hours. And uh, now that it's over, I've been in bed for two days. You are sick. I'm sick, yeah. Well, I don't uh, generally have a lot of contact with uh, people. So when I do, I'm probably going to come down with Summit. Yeah. We learned so much during these festivals. I mean, obviously, you know, we're doing festivals for the first time. So there's, you know, we're learning by doing. So there's massive amounts of opportunity to improve efficiencies. But I don't see any way of doing that unless we bring in, you know, we basically increase our on-site capacity, which means we need much, much more physical space carved out just for us. And there's never room on these festivals for the amount of space we would need. Maybe we do it. We have to figure this out. But the thing that I really want to call into question is what is the point of these festivals? Mm. I mean, you know, I love to go to festivals. It's, a you know, a beautiful, lovely yeah. um, experience. People are there to just have an easy time, listen to some music. You know, nobody's falling down drunk or anything like that. It's not like that. But. So much work, so much planning goes behind the scenes. Months and months and months before the festival, loading in starting about two weeks before the festival, festival lasts three days, about a week of loading out and breaking down after the festival. Yep. The amount of work that goes into this versus <clears throat> the level of however you measure that quotient of people enjoying themselves is incredibly unbalanced. And Surfana put more effort into 
keeping this sustainable, keeping this clean than I think any festival of its size possibly could did an incredible job. And still days afterwards, they're raking through the sand, picking up every loose cigarette. But, you know, it's just yeah. it's like, what's the point when all of that effort, all of that money could be going into something that is that's you know more toward disaster relief and it's really easy to say that when you know you're on the front lines and you're the one that's working so hard and you're like why am I working this hard if I'm going to work this hard I'd rather do it for somebody that's in a desperate situation yet on the other hand I've always said oh there's room for everything there's money for everything there's room for everything and and now I'm thinking now that I've been on the other side of this I'm like "Mm, I don't know if there's room for everything or maybe just for me Maybe we just need to bring more people into this. I don't know. Maybe I'm just tired. But man, that was a lot of work. Too much work. Well, I mean, presumably the economics of the festivals for the people, you know, sponsoring them and offering space and all that stuff, it it must work out. Um, So the reason to do the festival, I guess, to attract more people to the campground. I don't know. People got to do stuff. You got to have pastimes. Well, from I'm trying to learn the business model of festivals, and from what yeah. I'm understanding, it's really, really hard to make money on them. I think the whole entire thing needs to be called into question. And this was a little festival. This was like five thousand people, a couple thousand people a day. It yeah. wasn't Glastonbury, you know. Anyway, I mean, somebody must be making money. So whether the the you know share of the pie is is different. So. Um, probably payment processors like are the food vendors taking pins is that uh yeah okay all right so i'm sure those people are making money for a start well even that payment processors always make that's new because they used to do the little buy the uh, tickets up front so that was built into the business model that people would buy more little chips than they would which spend. were like single-use little pieces of plastic, right? yeah. But what they but they needn't be. They could have been something more permanent. Um, yeah. And it you know it slows everybody down too when you have to do the payment process as opposed to just taking a little chip. Anyway, who? Um, so that was that. Yeah. And now I'm all upset about the fact that no money from the U.S. federal government is going <laughs> over to Lahaina. When, as a when they accidentally sent an a surplus of five billion dollars, a billion dollars over to Ukraine, three billion dollars, I've read, would is what is needed to rebuild Lahaina. They're not getting it, not getting it yet. Five billion dollars went over to Ukraine by accident. So I'm upset about that. I don't know. Um. I'm upset about that stupid Apple, that self-congratulatory Apple ad. Nobody is using carbon neutral. No credible person is using carbon neutral as a a metric right now. It It doesn't mean anything. In the public mindset, it's important. Yes, but no, of course, anyone who knows anything about the environment doesn't um, bother with such nonsense. But... um, Obviously, a- Apple has to put the most positive spin on Actually, they don't have it. I should say, obviously. Um, Apple could just say, hey, you know, we here at Apple, we take our job of planned obsolescence very seriously. And uh, it's it's really important uh, <laughs> that, you know, 
you have your new iPhone that you'll love for six weeks or six months, and then we'll have a new one for you. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, Apple's a horrible company. They always have been. They've always been misguided. It's like, oh, it's really important to get a font. It's like, you're going to focus on a font? Like, how fucking stupid. What if it's all in one thing? Wouldn't it be cool if it's in... Because you buy the Dell, the Gateway 2000, and it comes in different boxes. What if you put it all in one thing and it ha make it available in five flavors? Even though there's only two software applications that work with the one thing, yeah. and they're ours. Apple's an awful, awful company. Just stupid. It's really um, I think it's... Blueberry. I think it's always going to backfire when a large corporation publicly pats itself on the back. I just saw something on my LinkedIn feed. Oh, Amazon.com is yeah. jumping in there for disaster relief for, I guess it, maybe it was Hawaii. Um, I don't think you get to say that about yourself. I think you have to wait for somebody else yeah. to mean, say that about you. If they are, it's probably because there's a distribution center down the road. Um, and also, let's let's work a little bit more on prevention. How about that? An ounce of because prevention, prevention isn't really so tied into the business pure. model. Um, we did that. So when we were doing our reusables project up in on, at the Poland Ukraine border, I did announce that we were re replacing disposables with reusables. Um, yeah. In that project, that was a bit self-congratulatory, but it was such a tiny little thing. The main reason I did it was just to create awareness around these, like the long tail of waste popping up in yeah. places where people might not expect it. So, so. And it was actually processes money. So yeah. in a sense, you were, you know, uh, promoting the people. That's true because process the... never said anything about that publicly, but I said that for them because right. they're the ones that funded yeah. it. All right, we've got to go take some dogs for a walk, so I think we'll just cut this one short, and then I'll just add to it until um, we maybe get like an hour's worth of recording on it. Sound good. All right. See you later. Am I recording? Yeah. Okay. Hi. We're recording. Recording. Do you, you guys want red lights? Do you want headphones? Doesn't matter to me. No. You're what's you're monitoring what's actually going to tape. But so wouldn't it be nicer for you to have, have headphones? I think it might be nicer for our guests to have headphones. I mean, I see three or four sets of headphones around here. So can we just use some of these? Uh, well, you've only got one headphone jack there. Okay. Uh, but you, you, you can split that. Um, but generally, the more headphones you have, what you want is a potential to have separate mixes for each of those headphones. So if one person says, I can't hear this input as well, I'd like that a little bit higher, you would want to have that flexibility. You don't have that with that. You would have to run all the channels through a separate mixer first that would actually give you multiple headphone mixes. Mm. So, so what I'm saying is right now, if you give me headphones and I say, I'd like to hear more of you, you can't make that happen without you hearing more of you. So you need one of these for yourself, these little mixer thingies. It's not, it's not those things particularly, but you need, yeah, separate ways of processing the headphone mixes. 
So on Rogan, when his guests have headphones, what's happening there? Does they does he have just a bigger mixing board with well, more they channels? They have separate mixes, so you could send different headphone mixes out. And remember that. But I have we only we have all these faders. We're only using the first two faders, and there's six more faders. Uh, yeah, but those you can only have two tracks simultaneous recording there. That that's why you've only got two channel strips live right now. So those other tracks are for. <coughs> I need my cough button. Um, the other tracks are for. You know, mixing multiple inputs in there you could do that but you can only record two tracks at one time again that's not necessarily a problem because what we could do if you wanted to send everything through a mixer first that would also potentially give you separate headphone mixes you can always use aux sends as headphone mixes it's kind of a workaround but you could do it so then you can get multiple tracks recording and your pre-mixing those down to two tracks and then you could send the two track from the mixer into the r8 do that is that a nicer thing to do um, how much money would that cost us oh it's, it's not it's only a couple hundred bucks oh. but uh if you it sort of complicates things for you a bit i mean you need to understand it, it it's important to keep in mind that what people are hearing in their headphones doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what's going to tape so to speak, All right. because you have, I mean, once you're sending the signal different places, it could be hotter in the headphones than is actually what's being recorded. So as long so, as it doesn't bother you, bother you that you can't hear me. yourself. No. Okay. No, I can't hear myself and I can hear you. When I would need headphones would be if you were doing things like whatever, if you were running like a wacky morning zoo where you need like sound effects mm. and then you're triggering the, hey, you know, there's a dog barking or whatever. Uh, then, or you, if you have the canned laughter, you would be punching that in on a separate track. I can't hear an electronic signal. Or if you took a caller, obviously I can't hear the caller. It's only what's happening in the space. So when the sound is happening, when it's actually two people talking to each other in the same space, you don't need headphones. Okay. Okay. Good. Continuing from the festivals. So we did two festivals back to back with two weeks in between. Um, absolute exhaustion. Like we were talking about that it feels really good to be physically and mentally tired at the end of the day. It's really rewarding. You know, I put in a good day's work. That feels great. But at least I overdid it. it. I, it was dangerous is too strong of a word, but it was too much. And I am feeling very disconnected. Disasso when people talk about like disassociation, I think that in a mild form, this is what it feels like. I feel out of my body. I feel out of my routine. I feel completely out of sync out of rhythm you know we've got to put the house back together we have to get you know there's all of these containers in our uh in the sparkle jar right now that shouldn't be there just getting everything back into the rhythm I feel like I'm just floating around on an eddy of confusion exhaustion out of sync how do you feel uh 
Yeah, I, I feel uh, a lot of the same. Obviously, things aren't quite normal. You know, we're still sort of behind in, you know, returning some of the rented containers, that, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> I think in your personality type tends to be the um, inclination to overextend yourself. You get very excited about something. So whether it's, oh, man, you know, uh, wouldn't it be great if the garden had this or whatever? Then all of a sudden, uh, you've uh, exhausted yourself by working outside and, uh, you know, physically <laughs> uh, taxing yourself uh, for 12 hours of work in the garden um, because you were very excited about it at the moment. So I think that you tend to get yourself into more trouble with that overextending th than I do. Yeah, you are very, very good at balance, taking breaks. I admire that about you, your ability to pace yourself on my 22-hour day. At the end of my day, at the end of my work day, I unwind by needing some time to myself where I just gather things, reorganize things. People always offer to help, especially if I'm meeting with clients and I've got, you know, a giant table full of usable samples out there for them. They're always very kindly asking if they can help me. And I'm like, no, I always say to them, as of right now, I'm invisible. You don't have to see me out. This mm -hmm. is a way for me to just wind down, collect my thoughts. It'll go much quicker if I can put all this back together myself because right, I've right. got my order and my routine. Thank you very much. Um, and I, I need that at the end of every day. So even at the end of a 20-hour day, when I'm out at a festival, I needed everybody to go home. Yes, everything would have gone quicker if I had help, but I just needed yeah. to wind down. And I'm like carrying pails of gray water and, you know, putting them down into the shower sewage system back and forth, basically falling asleep while standing up. But I just had to do that in order to wind down. But then I have like two hours before the day starts again. Right. So the thing I learned about these festivals is you need a lot more people than we thought and you need to put them into shifts and everybody needs to do one thing for four hours kind of assembly line and then they're done and they switch off and the next person that comes in knows exactly what they're doing and it's like a baton handoff almost you know yep. and that's how you keep this sane you keep it going I think like that's how we're gonna do it the next time yep. um, and I think we need like 10 people on a shift for a crowd of 5,000 people I think that works just about right because that morning when we had those incredible volunteers show up, we had eight people working for us. And it was like, that was the night after my 20 hour shift. So I had everything like the first pre-wash ready to go. So all the food particles were removed and then they were just like, boom, 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 boom. That worked really well. Um, but yeah, yeah, you can't just have one person <laughs> anyway. Well, on um, the Sunday morning, so you had a big uh, Saturday evening dinner service yeah. you know dinner slash supper got slammed yeah. um so there was a lot of backlog um sunday morning mm -hmm. i only had two people there we had a couple of no shows uh, i had two people with me but you know that that stuff went pretty quickly so you know there, there's definitely something to be said for having the right size team i think you know depending on the processes that you're designing you could 
be as effective with two people as with four people. It just, you know, depends on how many steps you're sort of building into the process. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, just to go back to what you said about sort of winding down and like pacing yourself and, and taking things easy. Yeah. Okay. What, whatever the actual numbers are, but you know, say that if I have, eight hours of concentrated work that have to be done like in a single day or something, I would almost always prefer to kind of pace that out to a 10 hour or maybe even a 12 hour day rather than just, you know, go, 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 get it all done in that eight hours. Cause I think that that's going to be more exhausting for me. So I would, you know, rather have like, um, a decent lunch in the middle break day, you know, so, uh, enough breaks spaced out during the day to turn the eight hours worth of work into a 10 hour day. I think you would tend to go, you know, well, there's eight hours of stuff that has to be done, you know, let's do it now and we'll sleep after the eight hours. And that's fine if that suits your style. But I think sometimes you can overextend yourself. Yeah, I don't think that my way really works <laughs> because I'll work 22 hours and then yeah. I have to sleep for four days and the world doesn't function that way. Right. So I need to you know, um, hook on to your way of doing it. And that's the way that we're going to s- schedule this stuff. Also, now that I understand how the cups things work, um, God, I hate cups so much. There's, there's nothing about cups that I don't despise, but it would be interesting in terms of flow and counting to put the RFID tags on the carrying crates. Mm-hmm. And so we know each carrying crate has X amount in it. Once they get cleaned, they go into the clean carrying crates yep. stacked. That that crate gets, you know, scanned and tagged and goes into the database. And then we just kind of know what's coming in, what's going out. That way it's very easy, more easy to for everybody to find stuff. Um, I think that we need to reorganize it that way. Yeah, I you think know? that the, you know, individual tagging on cups probably a, a unnecessary overhead. Mm-hmm. But if you have the... You know, either there's pre-sorting such that you have, you know, you know exactly how um, a tightly nested um, column of 100 mil cups, you know exactly how tall that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how tall um, a 100 stack of 200 mil cups is or whatever. So as long as there's proper sorting there, the cups are nested and stacked appropriately, you know exactly how many you're checking in. So you, you do the bulk check-in or check-out of uh, 100 or whatever. And that, that doesn't have to be through RFID. You could have the um, bins that you're subsorting into RFID tag, but that can also just be, you know, visual. Uh, so it's either just the spot check. Uh, that stack is exactly as high as it's supposed to go. It's to the line. Therefore, I know it's 100. Even if it's 99 or 102 or whatever, that's... The margin that's error still, is acceptable yeah. and it's so much faster. You know, again, I've always said that like technology is at its best when it enhances the human experience rather than replacing it. And I think that's a really good way to go. Now, with food containers, I think it's a little bit different because there's just so much fewer of them. And um, and I like that data. So it is very cool to know that that particular container went to those particular houses or that particular container Mm -hmm. has been used X amount of times. That's valuable. But with cups, I think it's just diminishing returns that level that granular level of data yeah um, and that additional overhead with uh, measuring all that stuff with containers with the food containers um is more justifiable i think as well because you're actually charging the customer more for processing exactly god i hate cups 
yeah cups are a very bad idea and and you know people just need to understand that if they're going to re- use reusable cups then it has to cost more than five cents uh to process the cup yeah. people should be carrying around you know we would like to drive ourselves out of business if people carry their own lunch boxes stainless steel containers they carry around their own cutlery with them their own coffee cup their own uh you know cold drinks uh bottle their water bottle with them that's the ideal scenario you have no need for our containers then no i disagree but with that's that. not Be- going to happen no because you can't you're asking people to carry around too much shit and they're going to lose it I, i'm saying yeah. it's the best case scenario in the same way that the best materials are ceramic, glass, and stainless steel. Yeah, that's just all there's to it. But you can't transport those over long distances, and you can't have things at festivals that can be weaponized. So that's why you can't have ceramic and glass at festivals. So it's all a compromise. Um, but of course, the best case scenario is for everyone to be a self-contained um, eating and drinking machine that they don't need additional infrastructure to support their eating and drinking habits. Carry your bottles around with you carry your lunchbox around with you and you carry your utensils with you but yeah. nobody's going to do that well, so I think, we have to be there I think that then the compromise is to have staff constantly patrolling the festival so I think it worked pretty well to have the return bins next to each food vendor mm-hmm. but then if we also have people there sort of uh, making sure that they're guiding people to do it taking the plates off of tables if they're ready sorting and separating out cutlery because the cutlery tends to you can't put as if the cutlery is stacked in between yep. the plates and you can't put as many plates in there yep. just these these shifts you know and i think that the staff would rather be out among the festival goers anyway again have people rotating through so everybody sometimes in the kitchen sometimes they're out with the people then i think we're in pretty good shape um yep, yep. and making sure nobody steals my fucking uh cage carts man i got possessive over that you know yeah but they're everywhere you just no you just can't borrow it i'm sorry i'm here to help i'm here to collaborate with you but you cannot borrow my cage crate you cannot here to help you cannot put your bongos in that i'm sorry you know yeah no i need it at all times so i'll help you in any other way but you cannot borrow my cage crate because you will not bring it back i felt bad though for the musicians who you know like they didn't know that they were going to be involved in a beach gig it's mm-hmm. like well, where do i load in it's like oh you can park you know 200 meters away and then all you have to do is drag your equipment over sand mm-hmm. like oh christ it's like i will lend you that. a cage crate and one of my staff to help you yeah. do your stuff but you can't take it by yourself right yeah well, sand sucks uh, yeah sand is tough wheels and sand don't mm-hmm. go well together you should have camels anyway so i'm feeling quite disconnected um, so I'm going to go for a somatic therapy session with Amanda McCray. My friend Megan, shout out to Megan, introduced me to Amanda. And Megan said, it's very hard to explain what Amanda does without it sounding woo-woo. And even Amanda would confess to that, but it's life-changing. And indeed, that is true. So... If you are feeling out of sorts or having trouble sleeping or feeling like there's, you know, some unreleased emotion or tension or I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but you go to Amanda, she does this thing where she has you sit up on the massage table and she looks at your feet 
And apparently she can tell things about your feet, tell things about you from your feet. And then you lie down and she has you do these. They're not exactly breathing exercises because she's not saying to you, and maybe she does to other people, but not to me. She's not saying, okay, breathe in for five and hold it and then breathe out for seven. She just wants you to breathe consistently and normally, but not force it, not like deeply mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I have a tendency to hold my breath when I'm stressed. So every time she saw me doing that, she's like, Beth, breathe. You're not breathing. And then she just does this light kind of tickly massage where she's just sort of tracing your body and tapping your body with her fingers very lightly and then a very light massage. And it's an hour of this. And the first time I did it, I cried like a baby. And and um, and then I get felt really self-conscious because I'm like, sometimes when you cry a lot, you know, your breath starts to turn bad. And I'm like, I'm just really afraid. She's like, just go for it. I'm used to everything. I cried and cried and cried and cried. I don't know why. And then I slept better than I have slept in so many years. And I went back and did a couple of those sessions. And this was before I, I was even having breathing or sleeping problems, like menopause, sleeping problems. And now I can take what Amanda's taught me and apply it myself at night. Like, oh, Beth, are you breathing? Breathe consistently. So I think I'm going to go back to Amanda to kind of reset all this. She talks about resetting your central nervous system, but she talks about it in all the medical terms, like the whatever the, the names of the nerves are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Very scientific. Yeah. Well, she she knows the names <clears throat> sure. of the nerves. I don't. But there's really something to this, I think. Okay. And uh, so I'm going to go back and do a couple sessions with her. I think that's really going to help just sort of reset everything. Mm-hmm. And so th- this uh, breathing, is it uh, very conscious, like inhale for X number of no, pounds? No, no. That's the okay. thing. She's like, just, just breathe deeply, but normally. Like, what about nose versus mouth? No, just... I can't remember. I think she wants you to breathe through your nose. And this, what is this crying and bad breath thing? I didn't know about that. I just think sometimes if you cry a lot, you just, maybe it makes your breath bad. I don't know. I I was just worried about that. I don't, I probably, it was fine. You probably weren't in the best state of mind if you were crying continuously. Mm. Like really crying really and you don't know why it's just it's that's the point of it it's the release of that emotion that you're supposed to be expressing that's just sort of pent up i think um i don't know anything about crying i I mean i I don't know if people can cry without meaning i don't know mm -hmm. know but if such a thing is possible Um, yeah anyway it's really good to know what you're capable of at any stage in life, like maybe it's not good for you. It's not sustainable. Obviously, people shouldn't be on their feet 20 hours a day for a month in a row. But to know that you can do it, mm-hmm. that is really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Our, the ca- our capability of our bodies, of our amazing human bodies. Body, but the mind is an important part of it because... Mm-hmm the body will start to like, Hey, you know, take it easy or whatever. But, but the mind can definitely propel the body for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Obviously the mind can't just, you know, will uh, the body to get rid of that cancer or whatever. But, um, some people think that's possible, but I I don't know. I know probably Amanda does, but no, no, Amanda's the real deal. She's not like that. 
Okay. She's yeah. not like that. And I, but fuck, I don't know. Maybe the mind can get rid of the cancer, but I think that's probably unlikely. But, um, but yes, the, uh, knowing one's, uh, limits as well. But that also means knowing when one can sort of safely, um, go a little bit past the limit, you know, like if today's going to be, so if I, if I have the choice between today and tomorrow are going to be exactly the same or today is going to be a little bit harder, but that makes tomorrow easier. You know, it, you have the option of, of doing that mm-hmm. you know, w- when you know your limits. So. Yeah. And also movement, 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 like my tricky shoulder, my yeah. tricky left knee, no problems because I'm moving, 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 but you know, not overtaxing, just, just moving normally, naturally, not in a gym, just, and my shoulder, my knee aren't bothering me. My shoulder's still bothering me a little bit, but my knee isn't bothering me at all. Or at least it's a lot less. No, you know, I think you that's gotta move. so important. Yeah, when I see those like people on 600-pound life or whatever, <sighs> it's like, oh, man, how do you get yourself into that? Because if you just start to move a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's so important. I remember this conversation I was having with Chandra, who's a, my friend, and I met her when I hired her as a personal trainer. And I said to her one time, for me to be very physically fit, very thin, I have to devote my life to it. Yeah. It ha- and I'm like, I don't have time to devote my life to it. But we should be devoting our life to it. And so I, what I've done is I've made it so that my work life gets me moving. And then it's both. Then it's not like, oh, six hours in the gym and then sitting behind the desk. So that's right. covered. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what happened to you is you got, you got sick. We probably both have COVID, but you got, you know, you got sick. You have a pretty bad cold, cough, sneezing. And two days ago, you looked like you'd aged 20 years. Just and you're like, I'm fine. I'm going to go to the sparkle jar. And I'm like, no, Michael. And I had to hide. I had to grab grab the keys. I grabbed your bag and I locked myself in the bathroom until you gave up and went back to bed. Yeah, that was I hard. had it was an intervention. I had to do that for you. It was unnecessary, but uh, thank you for doing it. It yes. wasn't unnecessary. And it then when I la- when I got out of the bathroom, you had given up. You went back to bed. You were dead asleep. You just fell asleep immediately. And I knew you'd be asleep for the rest of the day. I almost stole your phone. I can always sleep. You did steal my phone. I did. But and then I, you got I, up and you yeah. realized I stole your phone. Yeah. And now you look a lot better. I, you're not. I can still see it in your eyes. You're not 100 percent. It was a 24 hour thing. It was uh, rough. You know. Yeah. But what you don't accept is that. You think you can schedule your illness like, okay, I'm going to be not sick anymore in six hours. And, you know, you need about four days to get over a cold. Like the first day is horrendous. Second day, horrendous. Third day, starting to feel a little bit better. Fourth day, feeling pretty good. And you never give yourself time to get over when you get sick. Well, it depends. I, I mean, you know, in your standard, whatever, common cold type thing. Yeah, I think it it does have different uh, time frames for different people. But also, you know, if it tends to go through the, like for me, it usually starts, uh, I don't know if it's for everyone, but um, it tends to start more in the head. And then there's, you know, like a lot of uh, drainage and then eventually, you know, sort of moves down to the chest. So like the first day, I'm probably not going to be coughing. But the, the second and when it's wrapping up, that's mostly when I'll be coughing. Um, but you know, you kind of like 53 years old, I've had a lot of colds, you know, I know, or whatever flus or, uh, SARS or whatever. So I sort of know how these things work. And I know that though I may 
sound the worst on the last day of the cold. I actually feel much better than I did the day before. So there's always that kind of, you know, just awareness of your body and how you're handling it. Yeah. From your body, it, when you, so every time you get sick, you get the exact same sick. It yeah. starts in your head. I can see your left eye is starting to get swollen and you're headachy and then it just goes to your right eye and then you get all this nasal stuff and then it moves down into your chest. This is your body's way of forcing you to stop and to slow down and rest every time. Sometimes it's just the headache. Sometimes it's also the cold. But, um, you yeah. know, and I'm always trying to get you to slow down so that this doesn't happen to you, but you never listen to me. So... I don't get that. Uh, I don't get sick that many times a, a year. I really you get those headaches get, about once every six weeks. Well, I, have, I would say. I think I migraines. Have a you get possible, migraines. I don't get migraines. I, I think that's unfair to people who actually have migraines. I I have some recurring sinus issues. I think, but that's entirely different than a head cold. But you can get a sinus and they migraine feel different too. So when I have mm. a, a sinus issue like that, like the 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 way the head feels swollen, it's very different than just having a lot of congestion, you know? Yeah. But it seems like the way you get over it is the way someone gets over a migraine. You go, you go to bed, you get black out the lights, you put the pillows over your head, you go do an intense sleep yep. for maybe four five, six hours, and then you feel better. So I, you just have to sleep. I can always sleep. So I'm very capable of sleeping at all times. But also it's important that I have a cold a couple times a year. Cause I always look to a cold I'll, you know, drop a few pounds during cold. So it's mm. actually really important for me to do that. Like if I don't, you know, eat that much yeah. uh, for a day or two, that's good. So I was starting to feel like I was getting what you have. And so I went to the health food shop and I got a shit ton <clears throat> of vitamins, D, B12, C, B6, niacin, zinc, and loaded up on all this stuff. And I feel fantastic this morning. This is the other thing too, nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. We have to treat our bodies like we treat our dishwashing equipment. It's a tool. It has No, I mean, it has yep. to be taken care yep. of. It can't be neglected. You can't overuse it. It'll short circuit. Right. Um, keep, the, keep, the, keep the tool hydrated, lubricated, well-fed, you know? Yep. No, the body's a machine. Got to give it the right inputs. How many times have I said you know yet this morning? I don't know. Okay. Body is a wonderland. Uh, cool. Anything else we want? Carol. Do we need to talk about? I don't think so. We always got stuff to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, that's probably good for now. I need to pick up my art. I gotta figure out how to get my art back. What's your from art, Brian? That art that I bought from Brian Zubler. Oh, okay. I know. I thought you meant South like Bend. I'm trying to get Mom hobby. to mule it back to me. Um, but she's like, just I can understand that she's reluctant to take you know four or five pieces of art back with her on a plane. Maybe I'll just zip over there with her. Just unframe it. It's not framed. I'm just going to bubble wrap it. If it's not framed, then you just roll the canvas. No, I'm not going to roll the canvases. That's what you do. You roll the canvas. No, no that's not what you do. Roll the canvas. You put it It'll in your crack the paint. tube. It doesn't crack the paint. No. I'll ask him. Yes. You roll the canvas. I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. You do. Then you put it in the tube, just like Mr. Brady's architectural plans. That you sort mean of these thing. paintings and on the wall? We could roll these. Yes. No. Yes, you can. They're just stretched over the frame. So you <laughs> <laughs> remove the frame. All right. 
right. Do you remember okay. Vivace Coffee in Seattle? The name, at least. I don't know where the locations were. I moved to Seattle when I was 26 years old. You came a year after, year, or 18 months after. I wasn't a coffee drinker at the time. And uh, you ease into it. And Vivace was this little coffee stand up on Broadway and Capitol Hill. And you get a Vivace and it was the best. I mean, it was, I hadn't been a coffee drinker, but it was the most extraordinary taste. It has this like anise, yep. like licorice sort of mm-hmm. after hint taste to it. Yep. And this was in 1996, Six. 97. Six. When Seattle was still amazing and wonderful and unspoiled by the tech industry. And so what are you drinking here? Uh, so so it sounds Italian-y. So you're actually drinking like ristretto? I don't know, or... but this guy knew espresso. I think he wrote a book about it. Okay, so you are just drinking straight coffee. You're not doing it with water or milk or anything else. Well, yeah, a little bit of a macchiato okay. or espresso okay. or cappuccino or something. But anyway, the guy who runs Black Rifle Coffee... He's in Austin, and he learned how to brew coffee from the Vivace guy. But this guy is a a veteran. And so he started this company to employ veterans. So more than 50% or 80%. I don't know. So the majority of the people who work for him are veterans. And supposedly he has learned the coffee trade from the Vivace guy. Mm -hmm. I am so excited to see if we can bring that flavor back here because I've never had coffee like that here not even from the local roasters I don't think they have any idea everything tastes burned so I have ordered some beans the shipping costs just as much as the beans and bring them over here to our little espresso maker and see if we can replicate it so they've because at first you you said brewing so but these people also roast their own right because there's the what you do with a particular, depending on how your beans are roasted, you might want to brew differently, right? So, yeah. the, okay. I but feel these like people are going to give us pre-roasted beans. I I, um, I wonder if the roasted, the 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 espresso pour technique, like getting the temperature right, getting the the um, grounds the right consistency, is just as important as the bean itself. I bet it's super important. I think it's probably the coffee snobs would say it's more important. I mean, mm. the, the, what makes espresso, I think, uh, espresso is actually its temperature and pressure. So it it's not, and it, of course it is the, the grind because you can't get the right pressure and flow without the, the grind being proper. But um, that's why you can, yes, Starbucks are, uh, I think, uh, generally considered um, you know, lower quality beans that are uh, almost burnt to sort of impart some flavor to them. But you can probably make a decent uh, espresso with Starbucks beans. And we have. It, you can do the best that you can with that, but you're not going to have the best coffee of your life. It's the, the beans should be. And of course, espresso is a, a darker roast as well. So that's probably bringing you closer to the uh, Starbucks burn mentality also. I'm trying to find the... Uh, but I, I think your big-time coffee people would say, yeah, you you know, you're going to roast your beans differently depending on your preparation. So if you're going to do, you know, percolator and drip um, and uh, press, 
um, Turkish, all, all of these different methods of preparation, I think it has to go hand in hand with the, the roast and the grind. I mean, you've got the roast, you've got the grind, and you've got the bean itself. Mm-hmm. It's like wine on That, I think, is probably where there's the least variation, I suspect. I mean, there's only two... Aren't there only two types of coffee bean, like I, Arabica I and the shitty one? I don't, I, I don't know that. That that would be an interesting question. Versus like uh, wine grapes, you're saying, where there are so many different wine grapes. Um, yeah, I don't know. The depend on the climate I, it, and the it, weather. Isn't and the there something like only like two different kinds of tea leaves? Like, isn't there? Yeah. Like, the tea so. is actually tea. It's like, yeah. well, wait a second. How is there green, white, black? You know, I don't understand. I'm trying to find the na- the actual name of that Fritz joint that's right around the corner from Mom's house. Oh, your new sp- super spiffy Fritz. Well, it's um So <laughs> Is this what it is? Fries with chicken available in a new restaurant, Flams of Freetown. No, I don't think that's it. Um Flemings? This must be it. Fine. The best f- French fries in Amsterdam. That's a big, bold claim. Right in the heart of Amsterdam, a bit south attraction. Next to the metro station, Roquin. Yeah, that must be it. Is that it on the Heerhacht? Yeah. Nope, that's not it. It's on the Heiligeweg. So, uh, uh, I need to find what it's called. Um, come on, what's it called? This gourmet freeze place. Uh, so they're sort of, are they promoting things that every freeze? Uh, well, now you're giving actually, it away. Oh, that's this place. Because if they say things like, "We fry them twice," it's like yeah. everyone fries them. Twice. I know. Yeah. Freeze. Maybe it's on TikTok or something. That already got famous. Freeze TikTok Amsterdam. An hour in the an hour in the rice stand for in Fritzak of Cookieswinkel because yeah because of a video of TikTok van van Vega video yeah they promoted through TikTok no this is how it happened so with the like chocolate cookie place mm-hmm fun day and they actually have a rope that goes all the way like across the canal ring um. Do they say what the name of it is? It's, um, okay, well, what's the name of it? They're not going to say what the name of it is. Mannequin P. It's right up the street from the cookie place. So are they going to say the name of it or not? Oh, that's what it's called. Cookie place is called like a Fundela, right? Or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, Smashburger. Yeah, we saw it on TikTok. Yeah, we saw it on social media. Anyway, so you and I have profoundly different attitudes toward marketing and branding. You have no use for it. Doesn't matter. I wouldn't say I have no use for it. I would say that uh, I see it for what it is. Uh, It astounds me, honestly, if you're talking about you know, 30 and 40 somethings who are planning their 
some of their uh, excursions during their possible once in a lifetime trip to Europe, if they're saying, I got to go to this place because I saw it on TikTok, mm. that's very upsetting to me. And yeah, okay. I don't think that that speaks well of the world. Well, I don't think it's 30 and 40 years old, but it's they're 30 and 40 and 50 year old people, but it's younger people. So anyway, there's this Fritz's shop. Uh, I think it's on the French fries. One would say French fries. Yeah, it's it's either on the corner of the Herrgracht or maybe it's the um the single. I think maybe it's a single. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would be the single. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so I knew that this place had this huge weight. It's up the street from the cookie shop that has a huge weight. I mean, at least the cookie shop is something of a novelty. You know. Yeah. They make one thing. It's this chocolate cookie. With some sort of cream, like white frosting-y, frostingy cream filling in the me- middle, sort of like a whoopie pie. Well, and chocolate chip cookies are not so common in Europe. But these aren't chocolate chip cookies. That's a chocolate cookie. Yeah, well, well they have a couple very, but yeah. No, they don't. They a- have one cookie. It's a dark chocolate cookie with a cream filling. That's all that they do. And it has, it's this tiny little shop and they have like the beautiful little tin boxes. That I can kind of That's understand. That's the marketing piece. That I can understand. No, this is the brilliance of marketing. So the place up the street is the French fry shop. It's the exact same fucking French fries that you can get on any chip shop at three in the morning, drunk. You know, they say that these things are like hand cut fresh every day, but we know. One of our clients is right next door to the guys who, who slice up the chips. Like, that's not such a big deal. It's right, just potato right. chips. They put them through, a, or potatoes, they put them through the chippy thingy. Right. It, they're still putting in them in bags and refrigerating them. You know, it's not like they're you know, cut on site. Well, anyway, yeah. so, but it's all white metro tiling, beautiful hand-scripted menu. They also do bitter ball and... They have a few fancy things. So they have like a lobster bitter ball or something, and maybe like a, a crab bitter ball. They t- put two things on the menu items that probably nobody ever orders to make it look fancy. And then with the Fritsch sauce, sauce, the Fritsch sauce is usually mayonnaise, mayo, garlic sauce. So they've added some fancy frites like a, a larger selection of frites sauce like truffle and right lime i don't know curry that's on the list sure so they've taken the exact same thing that is you know on every block in the schlocky touristy areas of amsterdam and made it look fancy yep. and there's a line out the door and i think they probably charge a little bit more it is absolutely brilliant like that's the power of marketing of merchandising of branding you know, they get themselves on TikTok and they've made themselves look distinctive when they're totally, totally not good on them, I say, you know. I think it's morally reprehensible if there's actually nothing different. And it's in a better them. part of town. So it's more like a destination as opposed to just drunk food when you're in the red light district. Love um, it. Storytelling. Storytelling, yeah, another thing. Yeah, I no, I yeah. mean, it's, you know, yeah. stood in line for these. If it, you know, it's your first time to Europe, you stand in line for these French fries, you have to tell yourself, oh my God, they're so amazing. I mean, they're not, yeah. they're not made in, they're not fried duck fat or anything fancy like that. They're just 
fries. Well, they probably are, but 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 no, again, they're not. Goose fat is what you fry things in. There's nothing. But I don't that, think these are fried uncommon. goose fat. Look, I'm just saying. I probably had some of the best frites in the world, uh, and some of those were at Burger King. I mean, <laughs> uh, fresh Burger King fries are fucking delicious. Are they? Yes, they are. Now they're not going to be as large uh, a cut as European fries tends to be. Um, Ugh. But that also means you have more surface that's fried as opposed to the, you know, kind of uh, tender potato-y inside. Mm. Each has its advantages. Fast food is absolutely repulsive to me. Repulsive. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't even, even thinking about eating fast food makes me queasy. I don't even know what that means. Fast food is delicious. No, it's disgusting. It's a different sort of thing. It's, um, but... You know, it's fine. It does what it's supposed to do. Now that I know about the fast food industry, I've been conditioned like in um, like a Stanley Kubrick movie where somebody's like pinned my eyelids open and I can't unsee or untaste what I've un- what I've seen and tasted. Right. The fast food industry. Ugh, yuck. Oh, God. Okay. So this isn't exactly uh, marketing, but it is tangentially related to pure art i would say so what you're just talking about there you know the actual title the anthony burgess title is a clockwork orang because you know that's like the maui word for like orangutan and man right so he's a clockwork man because he's been conditioned he no longer can exercise free will he has to vomit when he thinks about raping or whatever but so so it's only the editor's that make it a rang, that must be a misprint. I guess it's a clockwork orange. It's not a clockwork orange, it's a clockwork orang. So that's just the machine around the author made it a clockwork orange. Wasn't that movie based off a book? Yeah, the, but I'm saying the title of the book is a clockwork orang. Is it? It's supposed to be, oh. but it's not by the time it, it gets to press because the bean counters and editors have uh, said that, well, a clockwork orang, that doesn't make sense. What's the worst? No, 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 I'm not going to ask that question yet. No, this, I'm just going off on a tangent. I was going to ask, what was what's the worst sort of heart-stopping, isolated mistake you've ever made in your professional career? Was it when you guys left the door open on the <sighs> van of Situation Gray? And all the instrument. Uh, luckily, the instruments didn't fall out. But the proudest moment. What are you talking about? Okay. I'm not ashamed of that at all. No, um, I wish that had been intentional. Yeah. I, I will say that that was genuinely a mistake. It's a funny mistake. And um, or like in school, like when you were in law school, did you ever have a real life moment that we have like nightmare moments where you show up for the final exam and you haven't been to class all semester? Did you ever have a moment like that, or what was like your closest moment to that, or? Mr. Perfect never had a moment no, like that. No, I have that kind of stuff all the time. Mm. Um, it's often because, I, should say, I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I know that I'm not experiencing the world quite the same way as a lot of other people are. I'm often not privy to information that other people seem to have. It's not that I've been, you know, misled particularly. It's just that I apparently need different signals than uh, some people need in order to acquire the same or to take note of the same kind of information so very often i'm um 
operating under kind of different assumptions than other people, I think. I find that often. Yeah, I think that you and I often, maybe I do too, and that's why you and I are often in our worst fights, not fights, but like aggravated debates when we're trying to work something out around work. Yeah. We're often agreeing with each other, but it takes us a long time to realize that because we're coming at the issue from such totally different perspectives. Plus, I do that terrible thing where I don't listen to you and I assume I know what you're going to say when I'm often wrong. And I'm sure I do that as well. You don't. I'm working on that one. Um, that requires a lot of patience, you know, where it's like, OK, we have to sit down. We have to listen to each other finish what the person's going to say even though it's hard you know i'd rather like do planks where my you know abdomen is shaking than listen to you finish a thought when i am sure i know what you're about to say that's how hard it is for me uh i don't know i'm sure that uh people whatever give seminars or write books about this sort of thing but maybe part of the purpose in actually conversing with somebody you know a genuine dialogue is that maybe you're supposed to not just get the content you know the essence of what they're saying maybe you're supposed to allow them to express it exactly as they intend to see i, I was know. i was very much wanting to interrupt you to say like and, and let them be heard and maybe you'd heard. be right to, to do that i don't know that would have but been funny I'm, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I didn't, but I wanted to. Trini London Cosmetics. What is Trini's last name? I always forget. I think it starts with a W. You don't need to know because it's part of her brand. It's Stop just, it. It's just Trini. Okay. No, I, I'm saying that that's her name. Trini. She just Why am I so bad at the... typing on my phone? I'm wildly inaccurate. Because you're not in your twenties. No, I think it's I have motor Trini Woodall phone calls. I love Trini Woodall. Trini Woodall. Yeah. So she had kind of a similar crazy career. She had uh, fell in with the wrong crowd or was the wrong crowd. Drug problems in early twenties. Then she was like a day trader. Uh, I think, and, you know, had to like sort of mask for years. The only woman in the industry did pretty well. She's like, I'm hating this so much. And then went into fashion consulting. And then she started it in her early 50s, Trini London, this cosmetics company that I absolutely love. She just flooded Facebook with little videos of herself in her closet, teaching how to dress, teaching how to put your makeup on, um, was, you know, typical story of a female entrepreneur was told over and over and over again by investors. You're focused on the wrong demographic. Women over 35 plus are never going to buy makeup online. This is all millennials. She's like, I know I'm right. I know my audience. I have dressed thousands and thousands of women and it's one of those typical stories where there's always going to be this moment where you have to decide if I'm getting consistent feedback that I'm wrong, am I wrong or are they wrong? And right. sometimes you're wrong and sometimes they're wrong. But when you know you're right, you stick with it. And I was like, go Trini, go, because we're in that situation too. Where I'm like, everyone is telling me I'm wrong and I know I'm right. Um, 
so she finally got an investor that saw what she was trying to do. And now it's like a $300 million business. And I buy, I have all the cosmetics. I buy all of them and I'm about to replenish them. And she also was being told like, this is a typical, you know, toe the line MBA thing. It's all about growth, 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 growth. Returning customers, especially with cosmetics, aren't as important because they might be replenishing like once or twice a year. She's like, no, the retention is the most important thing because I'm going to be adding new product and adding new lines, building the community. And she was right. And I'm just now at the point where some of my cosmetics that I bought from her need to be replenished. I'm replenishing them because I love them. Uh, They're not cheap, but they're not ridiculously expensive. The eyeshadows will last till the day I die. Um... And I just, I admire, I, and she's, you know, she's 59 years old, so she's a little bit ahead of me. And I'm like, oh, I would love to have Trini on the podcast once we're, you know, big and successful and have traffic. I hope that she says yes. And she's like a jaunty, brassy, big personality English woman, you know. God, Bethany, you know, stop doing that. So, I don't know anything about the cosmetics industries. Um, and to go back to your point about marketing, how different is the stuff that's actually in the jar? So Clinique, Estee Lauder, Sephora. Mm-hmm. Is this all actually the same product? To go back to your example about the French fries. I think that the there's two fries. companies that make all the cosmetics okay. that you buy in the department store. But there's a definite noticeable difference in quality for the most part between department store cosmetics and drugstore cosmetics. What's a department store cosmetic? Like your Clinique's Dior. Okay. Bobby Brown as opposed to L'Oreal or Max Factor. The things you'd get in a drugstore. And okay. So the department stores are nicer than the drugstore. Yeah. What? Okay. So what about the stores that have their own, like a Sephora yeah, those are higher quality. Okay, I would say. Yeah. Um. Okay, right. So you're saying you don't want to sell through CVS or whatever. Or I, I don't know about okay. CVS, yeah. but Trini. Own, I think she's starting to have some boutiques now. I think there's one in Australia. There's probably there's a few in the UK. Um, but she started selling everything online, and she has this whole match to me program, so you can have a pretty good guess of the shades that you need online. Um, she uses real women, not professional models. I actually don't mind the professional because models. Because that, that's one thing is that the color, you have to have uh, a wide range of colors available mm-hmm. in order to appeal to a broader demographic. Well, no, is I think that, that she, what she, her point was that women over the age of 35 still care about what they look like. They still want to do their makeup. They may, maybe feel overwhelmed. Like We're busy now. We don't have so much time. We don't know how to do our makeup maybe anymore because you know also your the your face is changing i've had to go through this a couple of times where my face is changing it's aging i need to rethink how i apply my makeup and i need some help with that okay so then you kind of start to like feel a little self-confident or self lose your confidence like oh, i don't know how to do this anymore can i get away with uh right. you know this much eyeliner or, you know you have to relearn how to do your makeup for your changing face Right. And she understands this, understands this very well. Okay. So big, big, big fan of Trini. And that's her thing. She So she primarily sells online. 
and, and now it's doing yeah. some things through retail outlets, but generally online. Okay. Yeah, and this oh, is me cool. going back to my whole cosmetics thing because now there's this whole movement, and you know, you know, I love Emma Thompson with all my heart. She is the just the maximum best example of aging gracefully, aging tastefully. But she's out there going, you know, caring about what you look like is a waste of time, women. Like, just, you know, get on with your life. And I'm like, uh, there's an in-between. There's right. an in-between. I I think that all of us, men and women, feel better, do better, look better if we put some modicum of effort into our appearance. Yep. There's just no denying that. The minimum of looking put together. I think there's a question there about who exactly you're doing it for. Um, I'm doing it for me. Yeah. I've um, always done it for me. And I think that's, that's good. Um, I would say if anything, if you sort of belong to the world uh, in the way that Emma Thompson kind of does uh, or somebody else like that, I actually think you probably have a responsibility to do it for us uh, more than even for yourself. Um, should celebrities you know quote look good i think so that's kind of their job as a celebrity now it doesn't mean they have to go you know crazy and whatever look like madonna or something mm-hmm. um but uh yeah i i, I think we kind of own you there so i don't think that celebrities should be allowed to just kind of give up i'm not going to appear in makeup anymore or whatever right um, What's the name of that know. actress who was so beautiful in her youth? She was in that Woody Allen movie. I don't know. She's got the really high cheekbones. She's not oh. black. Who is that? Hemingway? No, 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 no. She's older than Hemingway. Oh. We just saw her giving presenting an award. She's got that. that oh, up. Sorvino? No, no. She's older. She's way older than we are. Well, Sorvino's older now. No, 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 no. Um, she's in Woody, like a, one of like the seventies Woody Allen movies. That's what I'm thinking. There were very few. That it was a black and white, <laughs> black and white movie. That's Hemingway. If no, we're talking no, about no, it's not Muriel Hemingway. It's the other one. She's. Uh, Come on, Michael. You should do your your I, trivia brain. She has kind of like these hooded eyes. British. Uh, oh, she's a British or French or American. I don't think Woody Allen uses French oh, people. God, does now he? I gotta look it up again. I'm. Tr- I mean, other than um, oh, it's terrible. I'm blanking on her name right now. Uh, from uh, Cone Brothers. No, no, no. Et cetera. No, um, older. Um. Yeah. Hold I, on. I'm. I'm. She's more like even predates Diane Keaton. I mean, he has used like a Rebecca Armstrong type, but I don't. Oh. He likes her particularly. Ugh. It is, um, her name is, uh, Mia Farrow. No, not Mia. No. Um, to keep talking, no dead air. <laughs> um, I mean, I can name people. Why can't I think of that woman's name? It's terrible. Um, Julie, no, not Julie. Oh, um, no, is that no, not her? Oh, god damn it! From no, from Barton Fink. 
That's terrible. Oh, I've got it. Okay, initials are CR. Uh, I don't think I know. I don't know what it's so you're saying from the 70s, honestly. Mhm. I mean, 70s Woody Allen as far as I'm concerned. She's English. Um Okay, it's I'm just going to say who it is. Sure. It's a Charlotte Rampling. Oh, Charlotte Rampling. You got to give Rampling more credit than being in a Woody Allen movie. What Woody Allen movie is she even in? Uh, that one, that black and white one. Is she in Manhattan? Anyway, she, it was so gorgeous when she was younger. Now she's like aggressively not. Oh, no, she goes out of her way to not. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. she was in Dune, for God's sakes. Okay, well, boy, was she beautiful. She had a look. Yep. Well, um, did you see the swimming pool movie? Yeah. Did you yeah. like it? Did you like the swimming pool? Movie? Uh, yeah. It was like well, that kind of movie, you know. False. I am false. Um. Yeah. Wait. So honestly, I can't remember now. Is she? All I remember is like, um, Meryl Streep and um. Muriel Hemingway is mm. is, uh, is Rampling in Manhattan. Is that the black and white one? Yeah, That's, I think so. Okay. Or one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. When are you going to come up with my theme song? I have to ask you what sort of theme. You just I told want a you, Michael, bumper. you're just stalling. No, there's no stalling. I want slide, slide guitar. So you got to have some slide in there. Yeah, this little beastie. Ooh, what's that? Ooh, that looks that looks like a Beyonce like a Beyonce accessory. Ooh, what is that, Michael? And then when it's time, you just wow. When it's time, that's what I want. Put the mic down by your guitar. Put the mic down by your guitar. That is cool. When did you get that? What's up? When did you get that? Oh, I got this years ago. Just oh, it's beautiful. Practice with it. But uh, yeah, it's a nice idea. So you mm -hmm. can go back and forth between oh. spreading normally. Me, Michael put a ring on it. That's what that yeah. is. He has a slide on his ring so finger. So things like, uh, I forget what it's called. It's called the cool thing. All right, but you got to put your mic down by but, the guitar. I won't be able to hear it. <laughs> All right. You hear it. You don't want to hear it. But, um, no, you don't yeah, want people you, to hear you do it. Things like, um, so if you're doing like your normal, you know, you like all of this kind of stuff. So you can do your normal fretting. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I. You just go.
etc. See, that's nice. And then you can do your um or um uh oh yeah. Gotta work on that. Slide guitar, huh? Yep. Well, that's why I don't play slide then. Okay. All right. Ah, it just makes me realize how much I miss real life. Like sitting around listening to you play, or just we have no life. We've got to get a life. We've got to get our funding so that we can have a light, a little bit more of a life. <laughs> oh man. All right. Nick's gonna take us out. Play us out. What does that mean? There's, there's no words. There's no words. <laughs>